Well, good morning, faith family. I want to say hello to those gathered in Lakeville and our venue as well. I would invite all of you, if you would, to turn your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 6. We continue this morning in our series called The Search. Uh, you may feel that because we're at chapter 6, then we're halfway there. Well, not so much. Uh, we plan to finish this up uh, in two weeks uh, from this weekend, so two more weeks in the book of Ecclesiastes, because uh, we skipped around some, and so now we're beginning to land the plane and uh, uh, really get a sense of, of the main points this book is trying to make. And uh, It has been an amazing, amazing study because it's talked about real life. It's talked about your life. It's a book, if you're new with us, that's all about how do you find meaning? How do you make sense out of life? What is it that you look to when life doesn't make sense? Because we're all searching for meaning. And we've been introduced to the main character of the book, a man by the name of Koheleth. That's a Hebrew name that's translated the preacher uh, throughout uh, your English translations. And he's a very wise, very honest man. Sometimes he says things you don't want to hear, but nevertheless you need to because he's being honest about life under the sun, life in a fallen world. And so we're going to pick back up at chapter 6 uh, and really look at one of the main themes that this book uh, has been trying to teach us. So I'm going to ask you in all of our locations, if you would, if you're able, please stand for the honor of reading God's Word. I'm convinced, faith family, that these words come to us with the very authority of God. Look at verse 1. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun... And it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires. Yet God does not give him power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It's a grievous evil. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he also has no burial. I say the stillborn child is better off than he. For it comes in vanity and goes in darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he. Even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good, do not all go to the one place. All the toil of a man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage has the wise man over the fool? What does a poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This also is vanity and striving after wind. This is God's Word. Please pray for me and pray with me now. God, thank You for gathering us here. Thank You that in moments like this, supernatural things happen. My prayer is here in, in all the locations that we are gathered, we are not here to play church. We're not here for a routine. We're here to talk about real life and where meaning is found. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would reveal to us what our heart really longs for and where our life is really headed. 
Spirit of God, do what only you can do. I am needy. Come and work. And I pray this to the glory and for the sake of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. He's one of the most popular personalities on radio. He started his radio career in 1985. He's been named the National Syndicated Personality eight years in a row. He's interviewed superstars, celebrities, Hollywood personnel, just you name it, and everybody in between. And he's also the highest paid person on radio, thanks to a $400 million contract. Let's say that again, $400 million contract with Sirius XM Radio. Let me break down that contract for just a moment. Right, That $400 million contract equates to $2,000 every minute. He's on air. You think I preach long now. (laughs) Can you imagine? Now, some of you may have figured out who I'm talking about. If not, that radio personality is none other than Howard Stern. If you do not know who Howard Stern is, my advice is keep it that way. (laughs) In this case, ignorance is bliss, I assure you. Because while Howard Stern is certainly not an example to follow in life, listen, I would submit to you that he's an example of where a lot of people are in life. Here's what I mean. He did an interview with the Rolling Stones magazine right after he signed that big contract, the contract for $400 million. And they talked about his success, they talked about his career, and one of the things that he said was so fascinating for me, and if you've been with us for these many weeks in Ecclesiastes, this kind of language, this kind of answer will not shock you. Here's what Mr. $40 million contract said about his life. Quote, I enjoy doing the radio show every day, but the attention I devote to it and the inability to get rid of the insecurity is very fatiguing. The curse is I take it so seriously. I can't walk out and say, I did a good show. I'm satisfied. That's the source of all the problems for me. Close quote. In other words, here you have this man who is famous. Here you have this man that's the highest paid in his profession. Here you have somebody who who is, is popular, who everybody knows, and yet he walks out of his studio every day and he says, I'm not satisfied. This isn't enough. $40 $40 million contract, that's awesome, but, but I'm still longing for more. And there's a bit of irony, do you see? Do you see the irony? That a man who can't find satisfaction is being interviewed by a magazine named after a band famous for singing, I can't get no satisfaction. <laughs> and I try, and I try, and I try. Listen, listen, this is not a Howard Stern problem. This is a human problem. 
The human heart is longing for satisfaction. Everybody is wanting to find fulfillment. And that's what Ecclesiastes is all about. It's been one of the main points of Koheleth throughout the book. And now in chapter 6, you remember that halfway through chapter 1 and chapter 2, he gives his own kind of journey. I did this and I built that and I accomplished this and it was all vanity. And then in chapter 3, there's a shift. He begins to give observations about life under the sun. An honest, accurate view of what he sees. And he sees things like your life as a series of appointments that you didn't reserve and you can't delete, right? There's a time to be born and a time to die. You didn't reserve your birth, can't delete your death, right? It's honest. Life is full of injustice. Sometimes the good get bad and the bad get good and the good get good and the bad get bad. You never know. It's a completely messed up system. There's all these power struggles, pursuit of wealth. Last week, even going to the house of God can be risky business. He's just saying what we all want to say about life under the sun, life in a fallen world. And here's his next observation. His observation is this. As I look at human beings going about living life, what I've discovered is this. The human heart is never satisfied. It can't get no satisfaction, though it tries, and it tries, and it tries. Look at verse 7. This is really the main verse of this section. All the toil of man is for his mouth. That is, he's trying to eat. He works for food, yet his appetite is not satisfied. Do you see what he's saying there? He works to eat, yet he's always hungry. That's that's what I see when I take an honest look at life. Everybody's working for food. Now that's food literally and food metaphorically. That is, they're all pursuing satisfaction, and yet they can't get none. They can't get no satisfaction. They're still hungry. That's what he's saying. Now listen, he's not talking about enjoyment. Now this is important. Everybody zone in right here. When he's talking about desire and craving and wanting, he's not talking about it from the sense of enjoyment, like enjoying a cup of coffee or something like that. He's talking about fulfillment. He's talking about having desires and wants and cravings that if I could just get that, if I could just obtain that, then I'd have satisfaction, then I'd have fulfillment, then I would have meaning. And here's why I know that's what he's talking about, because he gives an example in verse 3 of somebody in an ancient Near Eastern mindset who has everything. Look at it, verse 3. If a man fathers a hundred children, stop. Just take that in for a moment, all right? (laughs) Can can you imagine if a man fathers a hundred children? Let's move on. And lives many years so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied in life's good things. In other words, stop for a moment and ask this. You got to get out of this American Western mindset. Don't read the Bible that way. You got to get back into the context. What's the context in the ancient Near East? How would an ancient Jewish person think about that verse? They would think about this. It's the good life. 
The good life, according to the ancient Near East, is somebody who has a lot of stuff, lives a long life, and has a big family. That's it. That's, that's the best you could possibly get. Here's why I know. Encourage me for just a moment. How, how many of you remember the Ruth series, Hope Restored? Okay. Even if you weren't here, just say, I, yeah, I totally remembered that. Yeah, Just <laughs> encourage me. At the end of Ruth chapter 1, there's a woman by the name of Naomi. And Naomi has no hope. Do you remember why Naomi has no hope? Number one, she has no money. It's a famine. Not only does she not have money, she has no ability to make money. Not only does she not have money, she has no family. She's lost her husband and both of her sons. Because she has no money, because she has no family, she has no hope. And when she returns, she says, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. Call me bitter because God's hand is against me. Why? I've lost the good life. I've lost family. I've lost inheritance. I've lost money. I've lost land. Now compare that to Ecclesiastes 6. This guy that you've just read about has all that. He has big family, 100 kids, lots of possessions, lots of money and wealth. But here's what he doesn't have. Satisfaction. Because those things couldn't bring it. Let me bring it into our culture. I've given you some of these, but it won't hurt to review. It's Howard Stern. A $40 million contract, and yet he says, I'm still not satisfied. Michael Jordan, six titles, five MVPs, ten scoring titles, 14 all-star appearances, billion-dollar shoe brand, and it is said of Michael, quote, he's constantly searching for release in golf or blackjack because the restlessness remains. Tom Brady, Super Bowl champ, Super Bowl MVP, Pro Bowl appearances, supermodel wife, says of all that, it's got to be more than this. Shia LaBeouf, famous movie star, says, I'm famous, and yet I have no idea where this insecurity comes from. Madonna said, quote, I still have to prove that I am somebody. My struggle has never ended, and it probably never will. That's who this guy is. He's got everything you could ever want, and everything you could ever want isn't enough. Now let's bring this out of the celebrity clouds for just a moment and bring it into our world. Uh, Full authenticity, full transparency. There was a day in my life, seriously, when I thought if I could just have kids, if I could just have a family, then I would be fulfilled. Then life would finally be satisfying. Because when I have kids, they will play well with others. I don't know why you're laughing. (laughs) And they will clean up after themselves. And they will obey their parents every time. And they will move out when they graduate. (laughs) And it will be perfect. And all will be well in the kingdom. And then I had children. And they fight. And they make a mess. And they don't obey their parents every time. Breaking what the Bible says, right? And uh, I assume, since I've been wrong on all those, that when they turn 18, I will invite them to go get the mail, and I will lock the door behind them. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. And in all this sarcasm, (laughs) uh, there's a point, and it's this. As much as I wanted family, 
And now that I have family, as much as I love my family, you mess with my kids, that's God calling me to prison ministry. All right, I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you. I love my family, but they don't fulfill me. The God-sized hole is God-sized for a reason. And so many of us are trying to fill that with substitutes. The point is this. It doesn't really matter how big, like with all the celebrities, or how small. Everything in life has a tendency to lose its luster. Take a look at this. Staying in a nice hotel here. All hotels are nice that first night, right? You're like, this is pretty sweet. Then the next day you're like, this place is a dump. Because we get spoiled so quickly in hotels, you know? They could have the nicest amenities, but after a couple days, you're like, hmm, same chocolate on the pillow. You'd think by now they know I like peanut butter. I stayed at the Animal Kingdom Lodge in Disney. There were giraffes right outside my window. But by the end of the week, I was like, giraffe again. How about a lion? How about a lion eating a giraffe? That would be magical, Disney. Because we get spoiled. In hotels, there's a sense of entitlement. You ever leave for the day and you come back and they haven't had a chance to clean your room? There's a certain amount of outrage. (laughs) Excuse me. There is a towel on the floor of my bathroom. Can you send a maid or a manservant to pick it up? I demand we burn the peasant village. (laughs) See, we got to be honest, folks. we got to be honest. And this is the point of the text. All of us have experienced that, either if it's in big ways or small ways, that that thing we felt like would satisfy didn't. And there's reasons for that. There's reasons for that. There's three in the text. The first is, it's a desire reason. Uh, look back at verse 7, where it says, All the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. See, appetites by nature are ongoing. Here's what I mean. You eat breakfast, and you're not shocked that you're hungry again for lunch. Like, nobody's like, Oh, I didn't think I would eat again all day. I can't, like, where's this hunger coming from? Right? Nobody's shocked by that because you understand that the nature of appetite is it's ongoing. Then that's not just true with food. That's true with, with seasons of life. I took the themes in Ecclesiastes and I put together in just a very generic kind of um, uh, broad stroke of life. That is, there are times in your life where what you desired most was pleasure. You just wanted to hang out with friends. You just wanted to have fun. Then there was a time when you focused on education, and some of you wanted to do well in school, right? Then there was a time when you focused on love, and you wanted to find somebody that you can marry. Then there was a time where you focused heavily on work or success. Then there was a time where it was you were focused on wealth and, and having things and possessions, and somewhere along the way, there was spirituality and, and pursuing spiritual things. Now, whether or not they were in that specific order for you or not, my point is this, your desires now are very different than your desires then. At 50, you're wanting things that you didn't want when you were 25. 
The seasons of life, the seasons of desire change. That's the nature of appetite. And not only is it a desire reason that these things change, but number two, there is a death reason that Coelith gives us. Look at verse 6. Even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good, do not all go to the one place, the one place there is death. Do not all die. Now, I've said this before, so I won't uh, labor long on this. Death makes everything in this life temporary. And temporary things can't satisfy the longings of our heart. Right? That's irrefutable from Coelith. Temporary things can't satisfy. That's why it's vanity. Not that it's not enjoyable. Not that it's not good. It just can't give you meaning. And here's the third reason. At least in Coelith's experience is a divine reason. Verse 2. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires. Yet... God does not give him power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. In other words, you you have the delicious meal, but the cancer treatments took your taste buds away, and you can't enjoy it. Coelith is saying what most of us at some point have probably wanted to say, that is, if you take an honest look at life, sometimes it just feels like God's messing with you. That he won't let you enjoy, he won't let you be fulfilled with the things that you desire. And that's why he's saying, as I give an observation of life, the human heart can't get no satisfaction, though it tries and it tries and it tries. So what should we do? What's your advice, Mr. Coelith? Well, here's his advice to you. Do the very best you can not to be born. Avoid your birth, if at all possible. I'm not making it up. Look at verse 3. This is pretty heavy. If a man fathers a hundred children, do I really need to keep reading that? And lives many years, so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things. He has no burial. Now here's the phrase. I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. Wow, that's, that's heavy. And here's what he's saying. What I'm saying is, if you can get everything you ever wanted and it doesn't satisfy you, you were better off to have never been born. It's like I can feel the downer, right? Well, that's not very practical, Quelleth, because that's a a date on my calendar that I didn't reserve. You said so yourself in chapter 3, so give me something a little bit more practical. Okay, I'll give you something more practical. Verse 9. Better is the sight of the eyes, that is what you see, what you have, than the wandering of the appetite. This is vanity. That is the wandering of the appetite is what is vanity. Here's his little proverbs. Here's his little, his wealth of wisdom for you, since I know you're asking. His wealth of wisdom is, uh, better is what you see, better is what you have, than the wandering of an appetite. That is what you don't have or what you don't see. Okay, it's better to just enjoy what you have while you can than to spend all your life on this vanity pursuit of desire to get everything you've ever wanted, which you may never get, and if you do, won't satisfy. 
Better is what you can see. Better is what you have than chasing after bubbles, right? You ever seen a kid chase bubbles and it's just constantly running after them? He's saying, that's vanity. Just enjoy what you have. Let me simplify it by saying this. Here's his advice. Don't live for your desires because living for your desires is a life of vanity. Again, desires not in terms of enjoyment, desires in terms of fulfillment. Don't let your wanting, don't let your craving, don't let your desires so take over your life that you got to have it, got to have it, got to have it. Because that leads to chasing after the wind. Do you see? All right. Is he right? There's a sense in which that's good wisdom. Are you with me? There's a sense in which that's right. And then there's a sense in which that's wrong. Let me tell you first how it's right. Coelith is right to say, be careful of your desires, of your cravings, of your wantings, because they can lead you to a very dangerous place. And I'll give you three reasons why he's right in that. Number one is this, because desire can destroy relationships. Desire, cravings, wantings, can destroy relationships. Listen to James chapter 4, verse 1. What causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Why are you in conflict? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Verse 2. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. The reason why your marriage is so often in conflict, the reason why your church is so often in conflict, the reason why with your coworkers you're so often in conflict is because of what you want. Because of your desire. Parents, is this not true? I have never walked by the bedroom of my children and heard them fighting about ideas. Never heard them like, well, socialism this and capitalism that. I've never heard that discussion go on in my children's bedroom. I've never walked by and say, well, I think the timing of the rapture is this. No, 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 clearly the timing of the rapture is this. I've never heard that. What I have heard is, I want that. You have what I desire. And they fight and they quarrel. Some of you are here today, Lakeville, Venue, all of you, some of you are here today and your relationship is a mess. It may be your marriage, it may be a friendship, it may be a coworker, it may be a church member, but your relationship is in a mess. And what James is saying is the core of that more often than not is somebody is threatening your want. Somebody is threatening your desire. And that's why your relationship is in shambles. That's not the only reason why. Coelith is right in the sense that desire, the wandering of appetites, can lead to danger. But number two is, because desire can create disillusionment. Desire can create disillusionment. That is, when desires take over our life, when wantings and cravings consume us, that i got to have this, and if I had that, life would make sense. Listen, let everybody here for a moment. It creates a warped sense of reality. 
you begin to view life in a way that isn't real. I don't know if you remember if you remember that fable of the dog that's carrying the bone. Do you remember this? And he's looking down into the water and he sees what he thinks is another bone. And he's like, awesome, I can have two. Forget what I can have. Forget what is in my side. I want the wandering of the appetites. And he opens his mouth to get the other bone. And you remember what happens. He drops the other one into the water and loses it. The point being that often our desires create this image. It creates this, this um, illusion. And we buy into that thinking that it's real and thinking that it will satisfy. Probably one of the best examples, though I could give you many, would be that of like pornography. It creates this, this fantasy world, this fantasy of desire, this illusion of, if I could just have that, then I could be fulfilled. But it's a lie. It's a lie. It can be alcohol. It can be success. It can, the, the point is, it begins to shape in our minds this view of reality that isn't real. And before we know it, we have no idea where we are. Here's a third reason why desire and craving and wanting can, if unchecked, can be very dangerous, and that is desire can lead to bad decisions. Desire can lead to bad decisions. Um, it's like a, a broken compass, and it's leading you places that you don't know where you're going, and you're making bad decisions along the way. And look here. <laughs> If you don't know where you're going, you may end up somewhere you don't want to be. All right? That's totally gross, isn't it, right? But so, so many of us, like, we're just going along and we're making decisions and, and, and our desire and our craving is what's driving us along and we don't even realize that we're giving up things we never thought we would. Let me give you an example of this in Scripture. Do you remember in Genesis 25, the story of Jacob and Esau? Esau's the older brother. He has the inheritance. Man, the inheritance is everything in the ancient Near East. The birthright. And look at what happens in Genesis 25 and verse 29. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me have some of that red stew, for I'm exhausted. And Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? And Jacob said, well, swear to me now. And he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Now again, an ancient Near Eastern Jew is saying, that's insane. Are you crazy? Man, I don't care how hungry you are. You don't give up your inheritance. You don't give up your birthright for stew. I don't care if your mama made it. I don't care if it's the family recipe. I don't care if you feel like you're about to die. You don't give that up. And that's exactly what Coelho, that's exactly what Ecclesiastes 6 is saying. When life is controlled by your desires, you give up things you never thought you would. You never thought you'd be there. 
You never thought you'd go there. You never thought you'd do that. You never thought you'd compromise in that way. Why are you there? You're there because you didn't say no to the wanting and the craving and the desire, and it took you down the path of regret. Just ask Judas. Who would have ever imagined that Jesus would be sold for such a cheap price? Just a few pieces of silver. You end up like the song that June Carter wrote that Johnny Cash made famous. Bound by wild desire, I fell into a ring of fire. The book of Ecclesiastes, I want to take you into this story of Esau just quickly. The book of Ecclesiastes is forcing us to ask this question. What is that soup? What is that craving? What is that thing you're so hungry for you'd give up anything just to have a bite? I so want to be married, I'll compromise who I marry. Just give it to me. I so want sex, I'll go outside of God's design. Just give it to me. I so want to be seen as attractive. I so want to be respected. I I, I so want to have a large church with a lot of people that I'll I'll water down the Word of God. I, I don't care what I have to give up. I just want that and I want that now. That is what the wondering of appetites is. That's where it will take you because it sounds awfully familiar to the Garden of Eden. Just a bite. I promise it'll just be one bite. And before you know it, you look back and you say, Where in the world have I come? Where am I? And can I just tell you, prodigal, every eye looking right here, everybody tuned in. Prodigal, can I tell you this? This morning's the morning you need to come home. You've got a loving father who's got arms wide open saying, come on in. I'll throw the party and we'll have the feast. Just come home because you've gone a long way from home. It's where desires take you. You see... There's a sense in which Coeleth is right that better is what you have than the wondering of the appetite. Desire for fulfillment, more, 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 more. I gotta get that, can lead to a dangerous place. But here's where he's wrong. Everybody listen. The answer then is not, then say no to desire. Anybody ever been around those Christians that are like, don't have fun with anything? (laughs) No pleasure is allowed if you're going to follow Jesus. I want to take you, in fact, let me ask this question and then I'll take you there to John 6 and we're done. Here's the question I want to ask. Everybody look here for just a moment. The question is this. What if our inability to be satisfied permanently with our desires was a sign of something else. Follow me, everybody right here. What if the fact, if we're honest, we would say we've been there. 
Right? We thought if we just got that, everything would make sense, but it didn't. It didn't satisfy. What if that was a sign of something else? What if that was a pointer to something? With that, let me take you to John 6, and we'll close. John 6, love this passage. A large crowd is following Jesus. They're hungry. Imagine that. Um, they find this boy who's got uh, five loaves of bread and two fish, and Kicking and screaming all the way, they steal his lunch. And Jesus takes that and he not only feeds the 5,000 plus, he feeds them the best meal they've had in a long, long time. The Bible says they ate their fill. They're full. It was an all-you-could-eat buffet and they were full. But they're searching for Jesus the next day. And notice what is said in John chapter 6, verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, that is, I'm the Messiah, but because you ate your fill of loaves. Now stop there for just a moment. Everybody right here. What's the issue in Ecclesiastes 6? A man toils for his mouth but he's not satisfied. In other words, you work for food, but you're still hungry. That's Ecclesiastes 6. What's happening in John 6? There's easy to remember. Ecclesiastes 6, John 6. They ate their fill the day before, and they're hungry again the next day. And Jesus says, that's why you're coming back. You want more food. And then notice what he says. This is so good. Verse 27. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. Man, that's insightful. Which the Son of God, Son of Man, will give to you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. In other words, here's why I think that's insightful. Listen, listen. Jesus doesn't say, What do you do when you shouldn't desire? Don't you know Ecclesiastes 6 says, Limit that. The wandering of your appetites is a bad thing. No, 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 no. Jesus doesn't say that the problem is with the desire. The problem is the focus of the desire. It's not that you want. It's what you want. It's what you're craving for. It's the food that you're seeking. In other words, everybody, you're assuming, Coeleth, when you say that there can't be any satisfaction in this world, you're assuming that the only bread there is, is in this world. But what if there was a different source of food? What if there was a different meal you could eat? And that's what makes verse 35 so profound. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. You're right, Koheleth, that there is no satisfaction in food that is under the sun, but what if there's bread that came down out of heaven? What if there's food that's not of this world that if you desired it over anything else in this world, you would never hunger again and never say, I'm thirsty. 
What is that food? It's a person. And his name is Jesus Christ. He's the bread of life. And here's what I'm asking you. What if your constant searching for bread, what if you're, I've got to have that, i got to have that, I just, just one bite, that's all I need. What if all that longing was actually pointing you to him? C.S. Lewis says it best. Look at this quote even on the screen here. Christianity says that creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exist. A baby feels hunger. Well, there's such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, water exists to do it. Oh, and then here it is. So if I find within myself a desire which no experience in the world can satisfy, the most likely explanation is that I was made for another world. If I find in myself a craving that nothing in this life can fulfill, then it must mean I was created for another world. Listen, Coelith is right. Everybody right here. God doesn't want you to find satisfaction in this life because you weren't created for this life. You were created for Him. And He is not trying to frustrate you. He is trying to show you He loves you because He wants to turn your cravings, turn your wantings, turn your desires where they actually can be fulfilled. And it's the most loving thing that God could do to cut you off from this and turn your eyes to Him because that's never going to satisfy and He will. The answer is not avoid your birth and limit your desires. The answer to the search of satisfaction is this. Be born again and delight yourself in God. Be born again and delight yourself in God. Let me ask you this morning as we close. Be real with me. Has desire taken you somewhere you never thought you'd go? In your marriage, in your relationships, in your lifestyle? This morning, do you need that prodigal son wake-up call in the mud saying, how did I get here? And what am I doing? I never wanted to be this far from home. Can I tell you about a loving father who says, come on back. Come home. Maybe some of you here in desire has destroyed your relationship. Man, your marriage is a mess. Your your relationship at work is a mess. And if you were just honest, it's because you're fighting over your own passions and desires and cravings. And that's why you're at war with one another. Can I just plead with you that the gospel calls you to reconciliation? Crucify your pride. And reconcile. That's what the gospel is all about. As we have been reconciled to God. Maybe you're here and sin has destroyed your appetites. The, the problem with a lot of us is we eat a lot of artificial sweeteners rather than the real thing. Because there's all this kind of artificial 
uh, substitute out there for Jesus, and we're running after those things rather than just enjoying Him. And let me tell you, let me tell you, listen, there ain't nothing going to destroy your appetite more than sin. Some of you wonder why you don't have an appetite for God. It's because you've been eating all the wrong things. And it's time this morning to turn and taste that the Lord is good. And some of you have maybe never done that for the first time, and I'm pleading with you, put your faith in Christ. Turn from your sin. See Him as the bread of life and say, I surrender. You are the desire of my heart. Here's the call of Scripture, and we'll close. Come, everyone who thirst. Come to the waters. He who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. It's free grace. Here's the question. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? Why do you labor for that which does not satisfy? Hunger for satisfaction is not a Howard Stern problem. It is a human problem. And if there is a desire in your life that this world cannot satisfy, it only means one thing. You were not created for this world. Be born again. Turn to God. Delight in Him. And He will give you the desires of your heart. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for Your Word to us this morning. There are some here that need to come home. Their longings for life, their longing for fulfillment and satisfaction has taken them down a road they never thought they'd go. But the, the good news of the gospel is that we have a loving Father who welcomes us home. But we must turn and repent and come home. There are others in this room who've never tasted of your goodness. They've never looked to you as bread of life. I'm resting right now in the fact that, Father, you know every heart, you know every life, and you know every need. And so I ask you to apply and speak this into us. Call us to respond, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.